This is Hunting Land, the podcast for landowners, habitat managers, and anyone who believes in the original American dream, land. If you own, manage, or dream of investing in land, this is the podcast for you. I'm Joe Baia, joined again with Clint Flowers this week. And Clint, I'm, I'm pretty excited about today's show because we're going to learn how to buy more guns and make money, potentially be able to make money and at least save money doing it. This is something that we talk about investing in land all the time. And today on the show, we're going to be talking about a resource much like land that is going away. There are guns overseas that are being destroyed every single day. And we're going to learn what types of guns those are and how you can get your hands on them. How you been doing this week, man? Oh, good. Just uh, having fun in this September heat. Yeah. uh, It's not giving as much break, but hopefully uh, we'll be getting a little relief soon. Yeah. uh, October forgot that it's not September for sure. (laughs) The, uh, it looks like we got a little front coming down. Uh, Hopefully that'll push some doves down. We got dove seasons have started up and there was an early teal season uh, this past weekend. And um, you've been doing any good on any of your dove hunts? I know you like to get out there and get after them pretty good. Uh, yeah, I've been, I've got a young dog. I've been trying to train up. So I've been concentrating on really trying to assist him more than just shoot every bird I can. But we've had, uh, several good hunts at the beginning of season. The last one kind of waned and the, the theory is that the, uh, heat has prevented new birds from, from coming South. So we're, you know, our, our birds are getting pretty, um, savvy and it appeared that way. They stayed high and you know, we're very critical of our setup and things like that, that I'm not, I'm not used to seeing on a field with, that was set up as well as we were on. So again, we, <laughs> we need that cooler weather for a lot of reasons. Yeah. This time of year, I think everybody that enjoys getting out is starting to look North, you know, we look for those fronts to come down and whew, man, it's still very much summer. If you look at the heat, uh, the heat waves and boy, it sure is dry where we are. I know we haven't put our seed in the ground yet. And don't really have any any rain forecasted that's inspiring any confidence in me to even think about doing it anytime here in the next really ten days or so. I know some people are trying it, but I'm gonna I'm just gonna wait it out. I've done this before, put it in too early, thinking you know it'll be all right till it rains, and then I ended up redoing it uh, a little later in the year. I'm 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 gonna try to. It's hard, but I'm really just gonna wait. I'm gonna wait till I know we got some rain coming to put that seed down. Well, have you guys done anything yet other than get things ready? No, we're in the same boat. I mean, last year it was almost the opposite. We got too much rain and it and it leached a lot of our fields. And this year, I think we may be praying for a little more. Yeah, yeah. Well, man, let's get right into this. We've got a really cool guest with us today. This is Dr. George Inge. This is a guy that you've worked with in the past selling some land. Uh, but he's got a really cool new new business and he's really worked out uh, a lot of the issues with bringing collectible, whether it's collectible or just guns that are overseas and getting them into the United States. And there's a lot of, a lot of stuff that has to happen for you to get a gun across the pond. And, uh, they've really worked that out. So I'm excited to learn a little bit more about what they got going on. Join us today is Dr. George Inge. George, George, what are you? The president, the principal, the CEO of T and G gun imports. What, what's your title? I think I'm called the manager. Manager, okay. And T- the uh, majority and owner. Okay, great. Well, TNG Imports is a is a really cool company that you know just started, kind of just started really here in uh, Mobile, Alabama. And you guys import 
German, all different types of German guns, but specifically drillings, combination guns, shotguns. And tell us a little bit about why you started this company. Well, it's it's a long story, but I think it really dates back to 12-year-old hunting up in the river bottoms below Jackson, Alabama, and seeing my relative be the one to kill the buck on the edge of the drive because he had this three-barrel gun, and they put him on the side, and, the, and he was able to use the rifle, and I just thought that was such an incredible gun. I'd never seen anything like it. And then as I went through the years in the Mobile area, we we knew that the uh, the prominent families had these drillings, three-barrel guns, and, and it was just sort of a mystique to it because of the fall turkey season, the deer and the pigs and all that went with it. So my family, I didn't think we ever had anything like that, you know, but then uh, with a scholarship to medical school with the Army, and then after spending uh, four years up in at Walter Reed in Washington, D.C., I got to go to Heidelberg, Germany for three years. And part of the treaty with the Germans was to give all hunting on government land, at least 25% of it, to for the recreation of the service people. So I got my German hunting license. I really got into the hunting there. And the drilling was the main hunting gun in Germany. And a friend of mine was able to connect me with his friend who sold me my first drilling. So in 1982, I bought a sour drilling, double barrel 16 gauge over a seven millimeter Mauser with a scope snaps on and off. And that was has been my favorite gun. So move it forward to really probably not uh, 2017 my elderly aunt reveals that a gun passed down through my family had come to her. She'd been afraid of it. She'd hidden it behind her uh, bed for 60 years. And it was indeed a three-barrel gun made in 1902 by Hollenbeck, which was an American company that experimented with making these guns. And lo and behold, you know, my family had a three-barrel gun. And so I became obsessed with this gun. It was double-barrel 12-gauge over a 2525 Stevens black powder cartridge. And I envisioned my ancestor wanting to reach out and kill the turkey or the duck as the, as the turkey was out of range of shotgun or the, or the duck was floating out in the water. He gave him an advantage. So to get it restored and repaired was a major ordeal, and it took me through a uh, master gunmaker in Michigan and finally to connecting with Toby, the gunsmith gun dealer who was visiting the U.S. and trying to establish a way to export these guns that were in abundance in Germany. And so it turns out that in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, these three barrel guns, rifle shotgun scope, also the over under rifle shotgun with scope were made by the thousands and thousands and exported but used within Germany. But then with restrictive gun laws, with the EU believing really that personal ownership of firearms is not a right, the guns became unpopular in Germany. And part of it was I believe this 
the the younger people look back at World War II, the things that happened, and don't really embrace the old ways. And they kind of saw these three-barrel traditional guns as a throwback to maybe a part of history they don't want to think about. And so they are more into the new guns, the new technology. And so there's just this unbelievable supply of these very well-made rifle shotgun combinations with scope that the price has just plummeted. But it's complicated getting them from Germany to the United States. So that was what really got it all going, an obsession. Toby helped me refurbish my uh, ancestors three barrel gun we have killed a pig and a 12 point buck with it and in the meantime i brought him over here to hunt with me in mobile and introduced him to a number of the prominent people here that work in the gun business and everybody thought the idea was great but nobody was really willing to take the risk of an international venture and so my wife and i decided well we'll do it so at the objection of my lawyer we, uh, I've got my federal farm license to import, and we uh, now are importing these weapons right here into Mobile, which is just a great place because it's such an international hub for importing from Europe that everything is in place to make it very inexpensive and easy to get expensive and easy to get. George, I've always known you to be a, a passionate outdoorsman and landowner uh, when we were blessed with the opportunity to help you sell your property in Mobile County. I mean, that it's rare that we get to see land maintained that well. I mean, from the, not just the road system, but understory everything. So I know attention to detail is important to you in, in a lot of aspects, but I I didn't realize, I guess, the history with you and, and German guns uh, really until this business started. And, and I know your motto is, is save the guns. I mean, can you elaborate on that for us? Sure, Clint. So we've got this picture of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of these really well-made guns from this special time in German history after World War II and up until the late 80s. And then we have the restrictive gun control laws, and then we have the new hunters turning their backs on these guns in part because of the turning their, you know, not being interested in some of the old ways because of some baggage from World War II. But the other thing is that as these gun laws have become restrictive, they, for example, outlawed buckshot. So these guns for Germans were great because they could be in a pig drive and they could use the, the rifle, but if the pig was close, they could use buckshot. And so buckshot became outlawed because the projectiles did not have the foot pounds of energy to you know, humanely kill a red deer stag, for example. So they also outlawed lead because of the worry about lead poisoning. And so you end up then with not as much interest by the hunters, but then comes the other laws they have. And in Germany, it's very hard to own guns. You have to get a German hunting license, which can take thousands of dollars and can take several months. You have to keep each gun in a safe. So you have to have one safe for long guns, one safe for handguns, and one safe for ammunition. And the police have, every gun is registered, so the police can come to your home, knock on the door, and if you don't have everything you're supposed to have on your list, you can lose your hunting license. So as these older hunters are 
are dying or trying to get rid of their guns and they come to the next generation or to the widow, when that takes place, the widow is notified, you have two weeks to two months to sell these guns to a, to a certified dealer or licensed person, or you have to bring the guns to the police station. And so this has become a big effort to destroy private guns because tax breaks are given if you take it to the police station. And once at the police station, the guns are melted in sort of a ceremonial destruction of guns. And in, even you know in Berlin, they had this big campaign, guns from the people. And that was bring your guns in, get a tax break, and we destroy them. So with refurbishing and this obsession I got over this 1902 old Hollenbeck drilling that had been in my family, and it, it really rejuvenated my interest in hunting, which had started to, to uh, waver a little bit. Uh, it just was unbelievable to think about all these cherished guns being melted down. So as we open up you know, these guns that can be purchased here in the U.S. Uh, at a very reasonable price, every gun we save is a gun that, who knows, you know, maybe one day the Germans will change their attitude and want to import them back. But we we are definitely saving guns from being melted down. So That's, save save the guns. That just hurts my feelings to think about. I mean, these guns, let's step back a little bit and, and just talk about the drilling specifically. Now, drilling means three, right? I mean, that's, that's, it's derived from, from the German three, meaning three barrels. So these guns are not like what you think of like factory mass produced weapons. I mean, they're typically pretty ornate. And I mean, the Germans have a kind of a way about them, right? I mean, they, these are, uh, these are fine works of art. Yeah. Right. Uh, tell us a little bit about, about the drilling. Is it always two shotgun barrels and a rifle barrel? Are there multiple ways that, that they're set up? What exactly comes when, when a drilling comes across the ocean to you guys? Well, the, the drillings made from the late 50s through the you know, late 80s, early 90s, these are the sort of the modern version of drillings. You can get the ones that were pre-World War II. And so we are focusing on these more modern ones that are only you know, 60, 50, 40 years old. So these guns, extremely well made, they are able to handle all modern uh, ammunition. They're typically two and three quarter inch length. The Germans are really very big fans of 16 gauge. So that is the, the main stay is the 16 gauge. And typically with the drilling, unless, except in unusual situations, and there are very all kinds of variations, but let's say... 95% of drillings are double barrel shotgun side by side over the rifle and then a scope that snaps on and off and stays sighted in once it's snapped on and off. Most of them have something called a claw mount. A more, uh, a more recent innovation is a pivot mount, which is occasional, but typically these are Zeiss scopes or Kaylee's or different, or there's a, they're companies that were bought out by Zeiss, but are essentially the same as Zeiss. And and typically, your left shotgun barrel is the is the rear trigger, slightly tighter choke. The right shotgun barrel is the front trigger, and then there's a button on the 
where typically you might have a safety that switches the right trigger from either the shotgun barrel to the rifle. So these guns are not made as really collector's items as much as they are functional hunting weapons. They are accurate. There has to be a hand-made component to bringing these barrels together so that they have a similar point of impact. You know, yes, they have engraving. Yes, they're swirls. Sometimes they have animal scenes. That, but these guns are hard-hitting, accurate guns. And the the rifle, my sour and sun drilling 16-gauge over 7-millimeter Mauser with a Henzolt scope, which, which then was bought out by Zeiss, my rifle, deer rifle, the 7-millimeter Mauser, is as accurate as any bolt action. Now, the the barrels are thinner because they keep the weight low. The weight of this gun without the scope is a little under seven pounds typically. And you do have to, you know, if you're at the range and you're checking your pattern, you have to wait 15 to 20 minutes between shots to give plenty of barrel cooling. And so this is not the kind of weapon, let's fire 10 rounds in a hurry and, you know, see our group. But the gun is made as for hunting and these guns have gone through a generation of serious hunters because to be a german hunter you have to spend effort time the license all that goes with it so so these is, aren't casual owners and pretty much every gun we've gotten is perfectly sighted in and is just ready it was like the hunter put it on the shelf and planned to use it again but you know when you tie in land ownership and i am really down on varmints feral hogs, coyotes, not very happy about raccoons, possums. Uh, I, I respect beavers, but I don't like them tearing my lake up. And so I see this gun as I've got a very accurate weapon, but I'm in a position to take whatever needs to be taken. And suppose I shoot a pig and I'm, I think it's down, I put the scope in my pocket and I've got two barrels of buckshot over a seven millimeter Mauser. And as I walk up on that pig, if that pig decides to charge me, it's looking at three barrels quickly dispatched. You know, that's what, what I'm thinking. What was interesting to me about this topic is for, for me, I'm, I'm a big turkey hunter. I love to turkey hunt. And what has happened to me on more than one occasion is exactly what you just described. I've sat down on a turkey or I'm moving towards a turkey or just kind of making my way through the springtime woods and I run across a wild hog uh, or I'm calling a turkey and I have a, a coyote come in. And what ends up happening more often than not is I'm, I'm unable to get a, a, a shot on that, that animal because they're either out of my range or the turkey load isn't really going to do the job unless I'm real, real close. And, you know, for, for a while I carried a, a pistol cause I was thinking, you know, Hey, I'll, I'll carry a pistol. And, um, that way, if I see a coyote or a pig, at least I have a, a little something extra. Then, you know, then I'm trying to stalk my big butt through the woods and get up close to a, you know, a wild animal, which hasn't worked out too well either. Plus I've had to carry the pistol, which is kind of uncomfortable when I'm, uh, you know, sitting down constantly up against a tree. And so I started looking at combination guns and I actually picked up a, a Savage Model 24, I believe it is, which was like a, this was a 20 gauge over, uh, or a, uh, excuse me, a 22 mag over a 20 gauge. 
but the issue with that gun was that the barrels did not shoot to the same point of impact. So I could not feel, I really didn't feel comfortable. Uh, like I was going to be accurate using that gun out in the field with these drillings. How does that work out? Are the, are the barrels, you know, if I'm, if I'm turkey hunting and I've got, you know, my 16 gauges are set up to, to kill a turkey, do they shoot to the same point of impact or are, you, are, you, are they accurate with regards to that? Well, what happens a, lo- a lot of these scopes, because the Germans like usually like it to be a little bit compact, the, you, you often will have a one and a half to six power by 36 up to 42 scope. So it's a fairly small scope. Sometimes they want the big full size, you know, Zeiss three to 12 by 56. But basically, if you're getting on a little older like me and you're having these vision issues and you can crank your scope down, then you have the ability to, uh, you know, if you're at one and a half power, you check your shotgun pattern. So my shotgun pattern was the center of the pattern was like three inches to the left and two inches high. So it was to the bullseye. So it was very close. And the slug, which I'm not a big fan of slugs, but it was in a similar position. And so, but what was interesting is with 16 gauge, with these are mainly 16, though they sometimes have 20s and 12s. But when I shot just the regular old number six federal at 25 yards, I could get over 100 pellets in a 10 inch circle. And it was very close to exactly where I was pointing. But since I had a scope, I could zero it. I mean, I could. But then when I went to the Apex Turkey Tungsten, which is the number nines, I put over 100 pellets in a 10-inch circle at 50 yards. Wow. And so I just felt like I had the ideal gun because I've got the inexpensive lead number sixes, and at 25 yards, I've got a fabulous pattern. But then I can use a different trigger and either trying to make a second shot or or a turkey's at it 50 or more yards, I've got it covered up because there's so many pellets with those number nines. I mean, I may be approaching 800 or more pellets in the tungsten. And so that's, that's why you have so many in your 10-inch circle. But then you've got the deer rifle. So if there is a coyote or a pig, uh, the iron sight is good, but you snap the scope on and then you've got the accuracy that you're used to. So, I mean, these guns are meant to hit. I mean, they classically are designed to all coincide at 40 yards if you're using iron sights. But then the scope, they're typically looking at, you know, 100 yards plus. Uh, as you would with any, you know, deer rifle. This is just so many ideas of, of river bottom hunting, especially with this setup. We can go from squirrels to turkey to hogs and, you know, never change guns. And it's just that combined with the, just how beautiful these weapons are. It's just, it's hard to imagine not having one. Well, you know, it's, it's because there's no action, it's break action. So typically the guns are about 25 inches long. It weighs less than seven pounds, even though you got three barrels. And then you've got the scope in your pocket. And so the scope, you know, typically weighs maybe a pound. But if you get the big ones, you know, the big European scopes can weigh two pounds. But, you know, it's a short, lightweight gun. 
you got the scope there and the technology changes with this tungsten shot and what they've done with that has really I mean I'm sure we hear the stories about you know 410s and 20 gauges and but 16 gauge is just you know it really gives you versatility and allows you to be thinking I'm going to take some varmints out if I need to so man like anytime I see one of these names Merkel uh, you mentioned sour uh, what are some of the other more well-known German, you know, combination gun manufacturers? Well, the typically you're thinking, you know, Sauer, Merkel, Kriegoff, Heim is a is a famous one. And what is really interesting about this period in history in Germany, of course, is the is East Germany was where this city called Sewell is located, and Sewell to Germans and to arms is like, you know, Detroit to Mot and Motown to the to wide track GM cars. I mean, there's something about the, the iron in the in the mountains around it, the, the the creek that was perfect for the hydropower in the old days. So they had generations and generations of master gunsmiths in Sewell and that is where Sauer Kriegoff, Merkel, that's where they were. And so unfortunately, when the Germany got divided, that was under the communists. So the so the communists and the East Germans, they would not allow their own citizens to have much access to guns. The the Germans, if they were in the Communist Party, could have a side by side shotgun and they were given five rounds of ammo for hunting. But they turned into a major export business using these master gunsmiths. So there's a whole group of these guns that came from the GDR, the German Democratic Republic, East Germany. And so those names kind of get mixed up a little bit because you had Sauer, you had Kriegoff, you had Merkel, and they all work together. And so, but the, the, but the communists like to change the name. So they made certain catchy names like Fortuna or this or that, but it was still the same companies and the gunsmiths can look on the action or barrel and say, well, that's called a Fortuna, but it's really Kriegoff. Hmm. And so as it turned out, they also start, made these guns in West Germany. So Sauer, uh, for example, built a new factory in West Germany, but the, but they kept Sauer kept going by the Russians in East Germany. So as it's turned out, and the test of time, these drillings made in the East are actually the tightest, the most accurate, the most elaborate engraving, and because so much of it had to do with the work of these master gunsmiths, because a portion has to be handmade. They, you do get a little confused with the names because you have guns from East and West Germany but they essentially are all the same in this era. The German drillings from the 50s through the 90s are just tight, accurate, and it doesn't really matter which name. The scopes typically are Zeiss, Swarovski, Kaylee's. There's a company called Nickel that is a really good German scope. 
There's the Hensoldt scope, which the factory was bought by Zeiss, so it's the same as Zeiss. The one thing to remember with these drillings and the claw mount is you pick the scope you want. It's not easy to swap out scopes. So, you know, you need to say, I like this drilling. I like this scope. I'm going to keep this scope. You know, it's expensive. It's very possible, but it's not uh, inexpensive to change scopes. But the scopes are, you know, very clear, accurate hunting scopes. So whenever I start hearing German names and firearms, I start thinking about the prices that I've seen on some of these guns. And like you were talking about in your childhood, looking around at a lot of those affluent families, they were the only ones that had them because they're very, the ones I've seen have been very expensive. You guys have kind of worked through a process that has made this a much more simpler for a guy over here to, to purchase one of these guns, but are they still as expensive as what I've seen? What, what can somebody expect to pay if they're into, you know, picking up a drilling or a combination gun? Well, what has, what's, what has happened is you've got this glut where you, where the guns have become inexpensive in Germany, but you have a lot of obstacles to exporting risk and danger of, you know, the different, owners from different countries, you know, one owner coming up short. And so what Toby has done, because besides being a officer in the German army, after coming up through the ranks as an enlisted men, airborne weapon specialist, uh, Afghanistan, he's a dealer. So he's very, very good at getting at buying the guns. And plus he is certified as a gunsmith. So he knows how to repair them. And so Toby puts a very good margin on the guns based on basically what he pays. And the end result is by the time you pay the shipping and the excise tax, you're looking at the standard would be probably $1,500 to $2,000 for a used drilling double barrel shotgun over a rifle with 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 a scope, snap on, snap off, like we're talking about. So, they're not inexpensive, but if you compare what you might see these guns on uh, other internet sites, they're probably about half price. But I think that you know when you're in that fifteen hundred to two thousand price range, you really are in the in reach of a lot of hunters because a lot of guns. By the time you buy a new gun and you put all the different bells and whistles and optics on it, you're not far from that. So that's the, pretty much what they cost once they're delivered here to Mobile. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not like these things are going to go down in value really either, uh, you know, because it being because they're collectible, right? I mean, there's a lot of people who are looking for this type of gun. And they're just not that easy to get, easy to find. But what about, you know, you mentioned Toby and what about the gunsmithing, George, when if somebody has an issue, what are y'all's solutions for that? Well, the thing about Toby is Toby's mostly, you know, Toby's probably 38. He's, he's speaks very good English. He loves to talk to the, to customers, uh, in Germany. There's a, there's a WhatsApp group that is a free app you can put on your iPhone that allows you to, to talk for free in Germany. So though credentialed and fully trained as a gunsmith, that's not his passion. His passion is, you know, selling guns and, and exporting them. But he has the connections with these older, established craftsmen gunsmiths that can fix and do anything. And they have the parts. So, 
for example, these drillings have a set trigger, a hair trigger, so that the rifle, you push the front trigger forward, it's an under two pound pull because the Germans like that. So we got a drilling in that was 12 gauge with a 222 Remington insert and a 7x65R metric, which is like a 280 Remington with a really nice scope. But the little screw that adjusts the hair trigger in the process of the transport was lost. So so the trigger didn't work. So Toby was able to get with me an the amateur with FaceTime and we took we opened the gun, we took it apart, he had me try this, do this, do this. And most of the time with Toby uh on FaceTime, I'm able to make minor repairs. But Toby comes over here regularly. The parts are available. And so we've also worked with a, a local gunsmith, Daniel Resmondo in Robertsdale, is a very gifted young gunsmith who is very interested in these guns. So we, you know, he helps us with certain things. So, um, you know, it's not like you're stuck with the gun because we can fix it. Our policy is you got 30 days to use and hunt the gun. If you don't like it, we'll take it back. But I mean, there's really no limit on that. Uh, we want people to to get a gun that works and, and they're satisfied with it. So to have that piece where you have extra parts, you have these experienced old-time gunsmiths to consult with Toby, and then you have Toby periodically coming over here to do repairs, it's a very secure feeling when you have one of these guns. Now, you mentioned several times several different metric ammunition sizes. And what about that? I mean, you know, I, I don't see that kind of stuff very often on the shelves. What do you guys do for, for ammunition? Okay, so the thing about uh, uh, these combination guns, these are break-action guns. So with a break-action gun, it works out best if there's a rimmed cartridge for the, your center fire rifle. You, they do have some in 30-06. They have some rimless, but I think that you can imagine you break the gun open, you reach in as the ejector pulls it out, and you grab the rim and you pull the shell out. Mm-hmm. So even when you have, like my gun is 7mm Mauser, 7 by 57 that is a common bullet that you can see on shelves. But, it's, but the 7mm Mausers that you see in the bolt actions here in the U.S. are rimless. Right. Mine is rimmed. So it turns out that the main metric bullets that the Germans use are very, very similar to the American ones. They have the 7mm Mauser, which is called 7 by 57 R for rimmed, and then they step it down to a 6.5mm one. They step it up to an 8mm one, which is sort of like 32 caliber. And then, and the 7mm Mauser, as many people know, is pretty much identical to a 7mm 08. So these bullets, these metrics are very similar to 308, 7mm 08, 243. Then they do have the 7x65, which is essentially the same as a 30 6 k So it's almost identical to the 280 Remington, which is basically a 30 6 with a 7mm bullet. So what we do is we carry lots and lots of this metric ammo. So typically it's $20 for a box of 20 Cellier and Balot is the company. The the bigger one, the 7x65R, that one is $22 a box, but it's accurate and inexpensive. And then there are websites or, or web sources that you can order the 
ammo online. New England Custom Guns is a very famous company that carries these other companies that make this metric ammo. But as it turns out, most hunting and most animals killed in the world are using metric. It's just not the U.S. Right. So it's accurate. It's available from us. And it's not expensive. So we just got to be prepared if we pick up one of these. We, you know, we're not going to be able to run up to the local sporting goods necessarily and pick one up. But as long as you, you stay prepared and stay stocked up, I mean, this stuff's not that hard to get is what I hear you saying. Right. And, I mean, uh, they buy the gun from me and, and typically they get two boxes of shells and then they need more. They can get more. There's no, yeah, well, no limit on it. If you're as good a hunter as, as Clint is, you know, two boxes of shells will last you probably the rest of your life. So... That's, That's mainly uh, because I don't go enough. <laughs> but uh, in my family, whenever whenever a new gun comes into the house, I have to justify it. You know, so there's got to be like, you know, Stephanie and my wife, you know, so Stephanie, you know, you really need a new shotgun for dove hunting. And then you also really need a new one for duck hunting. So we need to go. I need to go out and buy some new guns. I'm thinking this gun would actually make you're saying this thing is less than seven pounds, which is very light by all gun standards. I would, I would never have thought that a gun with three barrels was going to be lighter. I mean, that's a six and a half pound gun is lighter than most uh, over and under shotguns that are made here in the United States. So it's a very, sounds like a very manageable gun. Do you think this would make a good gun to eventually hand down to a, to a youth? You know, I mean, is it realistic to think that you could take your, your side by side 16 gauge out and go out on a dove hunt and be able to do that and then carry it to the deer woods, you know, later on in the season? You know, I think that the Germans don't really have dove hunting time. You know, they are going to be hunting rabbits. They hunt ducks. They hunt. They are big on varmints with the fox and the uh, and then the deer and pig. So I don't see why you couldn't use it for dove hunting. I think that the thing about the cost of it and adding a new gun, I mean, I think that I've already given my gun to my grandson, but I told him he can't have it till he's 15 or 16. And so it's just certainly something that will be cherished through the generations. Like I'm cherishing this 1902 gun. Right. But, you know, when you're trying to justify this gun, if you pay, you know, $1,800 and then you show your wife the same gun on the internet and it's double, then she's going to think you're a genius. Now, what's happening, I think, is so many of these combination guns available on the internet that are that are twice as expensive i think it's just that price point is hard to reach so they don't so they don't sell much but i know my brother bought one of the finest drillings we brought over an austrian one it was like i don't know $2500 he found one uh on the internet for something like 12000 and so his wife is so excited about the gun even though I don't know if it would ever sell for twelve thousand. That's what that's what yeah. you can show them because that's what the internet says. So yeah, well, and it's also like you know, so, my when my wife comes home from a day of shopping, she always tells me about how much money she saved. So it's kind of that same mentality, you know. That that you would, got. I mean, you've bought a gun and you've doubled. You know, it's worth twice as much, and so yeah. you've. I mean, you've saved. With three barrels, you can say this is Christmas, anniversary, and birthday. <laughs> right. And all knocked out at one time. <laughs> I love it. Well, all right. So uh, these sound like really cool guns. It sounds like y'all have worked out a lot of the kinks in getting 
the guns here, you know, getting them into the United States, dealing with everything you got to deal with, with customs and importation rules and, 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 and all that. But tell me about the purchasing process. So if I say, you know, when we get done recording, I say, George, I want you to, I want a gun. So what kind of timeline am I going to be looking at? And, and what do I need to do to order the gun that I want? Well, we have a website that I think you'll include. We have been using uh, Guns International. And so the best way to do it is if, is if you find a gun you like, call me, to talk about it. If I can convince you to get the free WhatsApp app, then you're able to, you know, you have specific questions for Toby. You can talk to him directly. But basically, because of the long process, we think we can get the guns here within two months. Sometimes it takes six months. But every gun we've wanted to get here has made it. None have been turned down. Because it's such a long supply line, pretty much all the guns are spoken for before they get here. So if you said you wanted this one, it's still in Germany, you would give me a check for half the asking price. And then once the gun gets here, then you get the gun. If you're here in Alabama, we have to tack on an extra 8% sales tax. But if you're outside of Alabama, you actually save because the uh, FedEx costs are under $40 typically, and you don't have to pay the sales tax. But it's just really, you talk to me about it. We go over it. We decide we want to do it. And then we do it. And then if you change your mind, just let me know. Well, George, you mentioned the website. Folks, if y'all are looking for that, it's german-gun-imports.com. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, and you can take a little bit uh, you know, better look around and, uh, and get in touch with, with you, George. But if folks do want to call you uh, and they have interest in, in these drillings or the, or the combination guns or the shotguns, that you guys are importing, uh, or y'all even do some bolt action, single shot rifles as well. What's the best contact information uh, for them to get in touch with you? Well, our website, uh, you know, and it is a dash, but it's actually, I think a hyphen between each one. Mm -hmm. Uh, So German hyphen gun hyphen imports.com. But my cell number is 251-377-4304. And the best is look on the website or Guns International, get some interest in call me. Now, Toby is moving his gun location to this new place and he has to change a license in the meantime. So you go through these spells where there's not much showing up and then all of a sudden a lot shows up. So, so that's the best thing. Call me and let's talk about it. Well, George, I've sure enjoyed learning about drillings and, uh, and what you're doing with TNG German gun imports. I uh, appreciate you talking to us about it. And man, I want you to send me some pictures whenever you uh, get this thing out there in the field. I want to see, you were talking about taking down, you know, pigs and deer. And I just, I don't know, I'm one of those guys, I just like looking at guns. So I can't wait to see how this season goes for you. And uh, good luck with, with the business. It's a it's a cool concept. I'm glad to see somebody's doing it. It sounds like uh, a way to, really, it sounds like a way to save a lot of money if you're interested in these types of weapons. So thanks for being on with us today. Thank you so much. Save the guns. What do you think, Clint? You got a drilling in your future? I think I do. Uh, maybe two. <laughs> I see a little little birthday and Christmas present for myself coming up. Yeah, I, I'm going to do it. I'm definitely going to do it. I've been look. I've been eyeing some. I've been eyeing an over and under for a long time, uh, and just kind of needing a reason to pull the trigger. I hate to even use that. I really didn't mean to 
pardon the pun, but anyway, you know, I have been looking at that, but this, to me, this is even better than buying a, you know, a mass produced over and under. If I can use that gun in a lot of different scenarios, that's one of been one of the things that's always kind of held me off of the over and unders is that I don't get to upland hunt as much as I'd like to. And, you know, I just, I knew it would sit there a lot. This is a gun that you could start to take with you. And one of the things we didn't get to cover, but I talked with, talk with Dr. Inge, uh, before the show about is that a lot of these drillings, one of the shotgun barrels, uh, you can, they have inserts for them that allow you to shoot some of the rimfire cartridges like 22 long rifle, 22 Magnum, uh, 22 Hornet. So it really gives you the ability with one gun. If you wanted to, uh, one of the things I really enjoy doing is just, just getting out there and just seeing what you see. So it gives you the ability to have a, a center fire rifle that's capable of taking down your larger game, a rim fire that's capable of taking down small game, and a shotgun barrel to take down birds and you know anything flying, and also have a backup shell if you're hunting squirrels or something like that. I that's something I imagine you you've done a good bit of river bottom hunting. That's something that could come in handy down there. There's no doubt about it. I mean, the the versatility that that these gun makers thought of back in in their day is incredible. I mean, the things that they plan for it's impressive. Where today it seems like you know every gun has its niche, and mm-hmm. you know they're both twelve gauges, but one's my dove gun, one's my duck gun, and you know the same reason we've got twenty different camo patterns for each type of hunting or terrain instead of just you know the original camouflage. Right. You know, I imagine the guy that that manufactured these guns did not have five different types of camo right he probably had a red plaid coat if i had to guess (laughs) but uh well man what's uh what's changing for you guys what's the timber market doing uh with all this dry weather you know the bird's eye view you know what i'm hearing out there is that you know and what i've seen in the past is that anytime uh, you get super dry weather it opens up a lot of loggable ground that uh is either not loggable in normal conditions or it requires specialty logging equipment. So uh, what happens with that is supply goes up, demand goes down, therefore prices go down. Again, generally speaking, these are always local. Influence components. locally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But things can, can vary, but, you know, that's, again, the bird's eye view. So we're not, I mean, I'm personally, I'm not cutting anything right now unless it's something that I can only get to in extremely dry circumstances or I can do it now at a cheaper rate. And meaning that if you think about a cypress pond that would ordinarily require specialty logging equipment that would cost you an additional, you know, five to eight dollars a ton in in logging costs, where now you might could do it conventionally uh, with a normal logging operation because we're so dry and these ponds are dry, uh, you're making an additional five to eight dollars a ton uh, because of that cost reduction. So those those type sites are, are, you know, it's a good idea to cut those right now, but if you got a normal hilltop pine site or hilltop hardwood site, you should not be cutting in today's market, in my opinion. Well, right now, it makes you realize the importance of the wet weather, you know, wet weather sites, wet weather logging sites, and how important that is. So that right. when, when it goes the other direction, you can be one of the ones when supply is low, you've got the supply uh, and you can typically get better prices for that. Yeah, that's something we haven't talked about on here very much, but talk a little bit about the, the TAP program that we've got at national land uh, because if you're looking for a specific type of property, we can identify that. We could get as detailed on this as you like, but if um, 
you know, whether you're a, a developer or just a recreational buyer uh, and you want to have a particular type of site that may have a certain amount, a certain elevation or a certain percentage of, of um, wetlands or less, or proximity to schools, proximity to Walmart, uh, hauling distances to mills, distances to transformers. I mean, anything you can think of, we can create a search based on that and create an interactive database of parcels where you can go in and, you know, we can get drilled down as, as detailed as you like, and then ultimately produce a list of qualified sites that so far to date on every one I've ever done for a client, we've been hitting around 95% accuracy. So it is just makes greatly more efficient use of your time as a buyer rather than out there just browsing the internet and having to talk to every agent and every landowner and everybody else to try to just go, single file track by track to figure out if it might or might not work, we can come in from the satellite view and knock it out of the park. So a more recent example would be I had a client who, or excuse me, wanted to buy no less than a thousand acres, no more than about two and a half hours from his home. And he wanted a water feature, whether that be river frontage, lake, something. So we set up a platform for him. We, and I got him to, you know, basically draw on a map a preferred area. Uh, in this case, it was part of the Black Belt of Alabama. So he, we drew a polygon and submitted that to our GIS department, gave him the other criterion that he gave me. And, you know, within a few days, we had a list of every parcel that qualified, all the landowner's information and their contact information. Every one of them had a water feature. Every one of them was in the, within the area that he wanted and within the distance from home that he wanted. So we knew that every track that we went to look at that we had a willing seller for would work for him. That's, and, uh, that's so cool. I, I love getting a look at our, at our GIS, you know, experts that we've got and seeing the ability to drill down and get exactly what you want. And also just what's available is such a neat feature. It's not something that, that really I've seen offered anywhere. It's something that a lot of, a lot of companies that, have a GIS team and the expertise to do this charge quite a bit of money for. We took a two-year search and turned it into a 60-day close. Wow. And we hit every track that was on the market and off the market. So again, you don't just have to restrict yourself to what you see on the internet. And that's powerful. All right, folks. Well, get out there and get yourself a drilling. I think uh, found a way to get one and uh, get it at a great price, really. I mean, you thought... Think about fifteen to two thousand dollars. That's no small chunk of change by any means. But it's also when you think about what you're getting. Number one, you're buying something that's worth more than what you're paying for it. That's that's number one for me. The utility of it. That's what I've always struggled with on some of the what I quote unquote fancier guns. Is that it? may sit there a lot of the time if it's got a single purpose this gun can be used all the time which i like and they're not making any more of these things man uh they're getting they're destroying them every day and and um they're not manufacturing any new ones so y'all go check out german gun imports like i said i'll put the uh, i'll put the link in the show notes if you want to check that website out it's got a really cool website got some cool pics of some of these different different uh firearms that he that he has y'all go check it out thanks for listening this week we'll see you guys next time 
This week's show has been brought to you by Joe Baya and Clint Flowers, members of the top producing team at National Land Realty, the fastest growing and most innovative land brokerage in the nation. With hunting season right around the corner and interest rates at historic lows, now is a great time to buy or sell land. If you want to learn more, shoot us an email at pros at landhunting.com or call us at 855-NLR-LAND.